Our scripture this morning is from the fourth chapter of Philippians as we draw near, not quite, but near to the end of the epistle to the Philippians. We'll read verses 14 to 20. Would you please stand for the reading of the scripture? Philippians 4.14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And may God add his rich blessing to reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we... Thankful for your holy word, we uh, pray that by the power of your spirit you would come and speak to us, uh, that we would hear the voice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we would see him high and lifted up, and that he would draw all men to himself. So come and speak to us in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Meeting needs. People can sometimes take things in the wrong way. I remember hearing of a church maybe 30 years ago or so where a couple in that church had worked with the youth for a long time. And the session of that church was pleased with the work they were doing and wanted to recognize them. Wanted to encourage them, so hopefully they would uh, keep up the good work for years to come. Well, somehow, uh, when this couple received the letter, they read into it that the session was asking them to step down. They took great offense, quit working with the youth, and immediately left the church. It didn't work out. We mentioned last week that this passage before us is a thank you note. And Paul is being very careful to make sure that this thank you note is not being taken in the wrong way. Paul wanted to let the Philippians know that he was grateful. On the one hand, he did not want them to get the idea that he could not survive without Uh, their gift. He did not want them to feel like if they did not support him, he would starve. They did not, uh, he did not want them to read a cry for help or a guilt trip or some manipulative ploy for more into his letter. But on the other hand, he didn't want them to feel slighted either. He did appreciate their gift And more importantly, he wanted to assure them that the Lord appreciated their gift. The God who supplies all needs appreciated their supplying 
Paul's needs. So now let's look together at meeting needs. First, in this passage, we see a partnership. A partnership. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me, sent help for my needs once and again. Now you remember at the very beginning of the book of Philippians, Paul praised them for what he called their partnership or their fellowship in the gospel. This church had been helping him, and this church especially, uniquely, had been helping him. Now, Paul had said, we saw last week, they they had not been able to uh, send him a gift previously during this time that he was imprisoned under house arrest in Rome, but we see that they had sent him help in the past. In Philippians 1.5, Paul thanked them for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. From day one, they were helping Paul in the gospel. Believers are called individually. Churches are called corporately to give. Specifically to give to gospel work. Now we can give to anyone any cause we want individually. That's our freedom. But gospel work is mandatory. That is work that advances the gospel. Not that we have to support one particular mission, but a Christian individual or a church that is not giving any support to gospel work. That raises serious concerns. Now, liberal churches define mission as what they call social justice, whatever that is. Even some so-called reformed evangelical churches consider social justice the gospel mission of the church. But the work of the church is spiritual work, advancing the message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh and lived a life of perfect obedience and died a death, substitutionary death for our sins, bearing the guilt of our sin, bearing the wrath of God, we deserve paying in full the price of our sin. He rose again on the third day. He ascended to the throne of God. He is coming again to judge the living and the dead. His, Jesus Christ, is the only name given among men whereby we must be saved. He is the way, and no man cometh 
to the Father, but through him by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That is the gospel and the work of the gospel is making that message known to all the ends of the earth. Now the church needs to exercise discernment. We have no business as a church supporting a mission that does not teach that message as its primary mission. We must exercise discernment. But we must be committed to this work. There must be a partnership in the gospel. So you see a partnership. Secondly, in this passage, you see fruit. Look at verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. <clears throat> Again, Paul is making it clear here. I'm not trying to squeeze another gift out of you. But I am pleased with what you've sent me. Not that I'm seeking a gift, but I'm pleased with it because it is fruit. Spiritual fruit in your life. You know, the illustration runs throughout the scripture that a healthy tree bears fruit. Giving is the fruit of a healthy spiritual life. Giving is the evidence of spiritual health, the evidence of love to Jesus. Turn, if you would, just a few pages back to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You're in Philippians, and then if you go back, you'd be in Ephesians, and then Galatians, and then 2 Corinthians. Right here in Paul's letter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and look at verse 1. Here Paul is... Uh, he's uh, going through Macedonia uh, in Greece. He's taking a collection for uh, the impoverished uh, Christians at the church in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, and look what he tells them. 2 Corinthians 8, 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Of course, this would include uh, Philippi. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Now you see what's happening. He said in Macedonia there were poor Christians. But they came to us, they were given as they had the means to give. In fact, they were giving more than they had the means to give, and they begged us to take the money. Can you imagine these poor Christians came to Paul and said, we understand that the Christians are starving uh, in Jerusalem and the church there is in danger of dying out in the famine. We want to support that church, and they give money, and, and then they offer more. And Paul says, oh, you're, you're, not, you're poor people. This is all you can give. And they're begging Paul, please take our money. Look at verse 5. 
And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us accordingly. We urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He tells the Corinthians, the Macedonians excel in the act of of giving, the grace of giving, see that you learn to excel in giving like they do. Then verse 8, 2 Corinthians 8, 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You see, Paul says, I'm not giving you a commandment. I'm not commanding you how much you got to give. Here's what I'm telling you. You know the grace of Jesus Christ. You know that he who was rich became poor. He who was God became man. He who knew no sin became sin. The author of life came down to die. That's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he did for you. You love him? He says, I'm not giving you a figure. Here's the cross. Do you love Jesus? Prove it. Prove the earnestness. Prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. If you're in 2 Corinthians 8, look to the last verse, 24. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. You love Jesus? Prove it. You believe Jesus gave everything, laid down his life for you? Prove it. Excel in the grace of giving. Show the proof of your love. And so he says to the Philippians, I am pleased that you sent me this gift because it shows there's fruit. There is true love to Jesus in your soul. I know it because you sent money to me when I was in prison. I didn't need it, but I'm pleased with it because it shows your love for Jesus. So, in this passage you see a partnership, you see fruit. Thirdly, in this passage you see a fragrant offering. Look at verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He says what they gave was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, I know I've already had you turn, but if you can turn one more time, it's only halfway as far back as the last one. Ephesians 5, you're telling people to give, you've got to back it up with a lot of scripture. Ephesians 5, 
Philippians, go back to previous Ephesians 5 and look at verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul uses the exact same words to describe the monetary gift the Philippians sent him in prison. In Philippians 4.18, that he describes the death of Jesus Christ in Ephesians 5.2. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the money the Philippians sent to Paul were both a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul says, be imitators of God and walk in love as Christ loved us. We are called to imitate Jesus Christ. He made a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are called to sacrifice to God. Now he draws on the image of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And in the Old Testament system, you didn't bring God your leftovers. You didn't bring him the animals that wouldn't fetch you anything at the market. No, you gave God the first and the best. Anything less was unacceptable. And you say, that's Old Testament. We don't worship God with Old Testament sacrifices anymore. Okay, fair enough. It'd be an abomination for us to bring a lamb in here. I understand that. Christ has died once and for all. But what did God give us? He gave us the first and his best. He gave us his only begotten son. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Say, how can I, I'm not going to die on a cross. How do I offer myself a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul tells the Philippians that the gift they sent was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Old hymn says, Savior, thy dying love thou gavest me, nor should I aught withhold, dear Lord, from thee in love my soul would bow, my heart fulfill its vow. Some offering bring thee now something for thee. So you see a partnership, you see fruit. You see a fragrant offering. And fourthly and finally in this passage, you see the supply of all needs. Look at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now the thing, Paul is, is thanking them for sending him a gift. Paul cannot return the favor. He's in prison. He's chained to a Roman guard in an apartment in Rome. He can't do anything to repay them. They can take care of his needs. He can't take care of theirs. But, he says, verse 19, my God can. And he will. He will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see, the key to generosity is to trust that God is the supplier of all needs. You see, when we give to the work of the gospel, we are trusting that God will supply our needs. Trust always leads to discipline. Abraham trusted God. And so when God called him to do something, sacrifice his own son, that would make no sense to the ordinary man because he trusted God, he obeyed. And the Lord supplied, provided the lamb or the ram in place of his son. Where there is trust, there will be discipline. Christians who have trouble giving, and I'm not saying if you don't give enough, you're not a Christian. There are Christians who don't give very much. The problem is not really a, a theological problem. Don't understand the theology of giving. It's not really a, a matter of love, at least not on an emotional level. It, not that they don't feel any affection towards Jesus. It's not that they're unaware, just practical need. We don't give any money, we'll never get to build for our children. Now, I think, in my experience, where there are Christians who don't give very much, it's simply a lack of personal financial discipline, generally, in life. I read a great letter to the editor of the Wall Street Journal yesterday, the weekend edition of the journal, was responding to something one of the politicians had said, and he basically said, you know, it doesn't really matter what kind of government program any politician promises or how big a check any candidate promises. It doesn't matter how much money you send me if I can't handle it responsibly once I get it. Where there's a lack of giving, there's a general lack 
of financial responsibility in life. And it simply leaves nothing to give. If we trust God is the supplier of all our needs, then all we have has come from him. And if we trust that he has given it to us and it belongs to him, then the first question we ask with every penny is not, what do I want to do with it? What does he want done with his money? You trust that God will supply your needs do you trust that he is the supplier? Paul says in verse 19, he will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He will supply your needs in Christ. The God who has given his own son that we might have everything we need. Our righteousness, our forgiveness, our very life, our wisdom, all of it is hidden in Jesus Christ. It is ours. God gave him for us. How will he not with him freely give us all things? One of my mentors tells of a time when he was a, a young man. He was teaching at an institution. He was teaching theology, not making much of a salary at that point. He and his wife had five children, and Christmas time was drawing near. And they supported several missionaries, and three of them, I believe, had lost their parents that year, and his wife said to him, I really feel like this Christmas we need to send an extra love gift to these three missionaries. And uh, he said to his wife, he said, well, I, I don't see how we can do that. We've, we've made our commitments. We've tithed. We've, we've uh, sent our regular support. But he said, if we send anything to these uh if we can't send any, if we send anything else to these missionaries and we can't eat for the rest of this month, the grocery money and the budget's gone. She said, I got enough dried beans saved in the pantry, I can get us through. Well, mother always knows best, it's Mother's Day, so he did what mama said. So he wrote the checks to the three missionaries and sent them off. And being fiscally responsible people. They lived simply to fit the budget. They went on a dried beans diet for the rest of the month. At the end of that month, this man checked his mail one day when he got home, found an envelope from someone that had supported him and his wife, it contained a Christmas present. The Christmas present was a check that was exactly the amount of the three checks they had sent to the missionaries combined 
times 100. And my friend said when he looked at that, the only thing he can think was, why didn't we send more checks to missionaries? <laughs> We'd be rich. This really happened. Do you believe God will supply your needs in Jesus Christ? Show the proof of your trust. Show the proof of your love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.